I want to be better in business, I want to be a better person, and I don't want to keep making stupid mistakes. Yeah. I was just super obsessed with making money. Jack Henderson, 18, he bought his first property and owns a multi-million dollar portfolio. I didn't want to be poor, I didn't want to be a failure, and I still have that fear right now. It sounds like your mind just kept opening up more and more and your, your life followed. You run from fear more than you run towards pleasure. Jack Henderson, approaching 30 million in property before 30. That initial purchase was the thing that then snowballed me into you know all the other stuff. One of the most pivotal decisions I've made in my life to date. Actually feeling that it's possible to mm. feel what it's like to inject all that enthusiasm and inspiration for that dream and passion. So I got expelled from school. First thing I wanted to do was obviously earn as much money as I possibly could. Fear is a great driver. So you can either run towards something or run away from something. Mm. Now I'm like, I've got 30, how do I get to a billion? We're accused of controversial business tactics, questionable buy-in practices around you and your business partner. What's the, the true story? Hey, this is intense. <laughs> Jack Henderson, entrepreneur, property investor, social media influencer, controversial figure. Uh, that's, that's the main one. That's mate, your mission, I believe, is to build one of the world's most impactful property companies. That's right. Why is that your mission? Um, mate, it's still something that I'm dialing in, to be honest. I um, Up until this year, I haven't really had a mission or a purpose as such other than uh, stuff that's sort of, you know, um, selfish in nature. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's our, our job to guide our people and give them a reason to come to work. So um, building the most impactful property business in, in the world um, is, I guess, has a selfish nature to it and then also a um, more philanthropic nature yeah, to it. Yeah, when you say impact, what does that mean? So it's uh, the way that I've been thinking about it, and I don't really know how to convey it yet, but it's essentially like a Robin Hood sort of <laughs> mentality is the majority of our clients are wealthy people. So our, our goal for our clients is to help Australians become a part of the wealthiest 1% of the population. Mm. Um, you know, that sounds, if there, there's no reason behind that, it's just like, well, you just want to make people rich for the sake of yeah. it. So the whole idea of um, rob from the rich and give to the poor. Exactly. So create the wealthiest 1% of the population to help the 99%. That's, that's the mentality or that's the thought process I have around it at the moment. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think how we do that is probably going to change and I probably don't have all the answers for it. But um, the... And why do you have this drive to help the, let's say, the non-wealthy? Like, did you come from wealth or did you come from... No, I mean, if you compare it to the majority of the world, yeah, I come from wealth. But like, if you compare it to Australia's wealth, then no, I was just a normal, normal dude living in Northwest Sydney, 60 k from the CBD, normal working mum and dad. Mm. Um you know, now, now I look around and I'm like, wow, I really didn't come from wealth because, yeah. you know, we're in these, um, in these environments that we're in. Um, yeah. Cause you're walking through 20, 30, $40 million homes. Yeah. You're seeing abundance everywhere. You've got yourself, what, 30 odd million dollars of property portfolio. Yeah, exactly. And these numbers were not even numbers that you thought about like growing up, right? It was like the wealthy people in our neighborhood had like a Land Cruiser, you know, <laughs> car and, um, you know, they lived in a house on the river that was maybe worth at that time 900 grand to 1.2 million, right? Mm. That was a lot of money. Um, so where now you... it's like you just, your, your perception of the world changes when you're surrounded by wealth. Um, so, and how did you start that journey? Like where did your domino was the first domino, uh, that, that tipped for your journey to lend up where you are today in the Shine Sauna podcast? I think <laughs> I think it was... Um, the pinnacle, obviously. <laughs> that's right. It was funny. We were discussing this whole theory last year in uh, in New Zealand. Yeah, here we are. Um, but I think the, the domino was probably... 
and I've thought about this a lot, the domino was probably the fact that I never felt enough growing up. Even mm. though I wasn't from a wealthy community, I always wanted what I perceived to be wealth mm. in that community. Um, Where did I, that come from? How did you see wealth? Was there a rich dad? Was there a nah, like we, my parents TV show that you looked up to? I think so. There, there had to be something, right, that mm. made it click because my brother's not so much like that. Grew up in the same household, you know, was, went to the same school, surrounded by similar people. Mm. Um, I think it was like a feeling unequal from my peers. It was probably like an ego-driven thing yeah. growing up, I would say. Um, so that was like the first, I guess, domino was like, fuck, I want to... I want to be rich, yeah. You know, like as a kid, um, and that was like the driver, and like it's, you know, it somewhat still is, right? It's a chip mm. on the shoulder thing, but that was a driver f- through like the education, like the early education phase of like, you know, how to make money, what is investing, yeah. how do you, you know, when how do you, you think invest? you started looking into how to make money and how to be wealthy? Probably. I was always I was always interested in like boats and cars and like mm. all the you know material possessions that you you are as a young male and probably more so than anyone else like you know I, we we bought a boat as a family once like an old fishing boat and mm. you know like you know most people I think would just like buy a boat and that would be the end of it but like I researched like nonstop around <laughs> boats and the difference in boats and like what were the best boats and how could you buy it you know cheaper than than you know the average puns all those all those things so it started from from that age and I think. My real estate, um, my real estate, uh, I guess, obsession started when we sold our family home when I was probably in like year six, year seven, mm-hmm. I think I was. And we sold our family home um, for like, I think it was 600 grand we sold it for. And um, I was obsessed with buying the next property, right? So mm-hmm. I had no idea what a budget was. My parents never told me like, oh, this is what we can spend on next yeah. property. So I was constantly on real estate domain.com showing mm-hmm. these multi-million dollar homes in the area. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we can't really afford that. And that's where I think the real estate obsession started mm. from. And then... Were your parents into it at all? Not really. Like they had a few investment properties when I was growing up that they bought like off the plan through their accountant. And um, they didn't do too well out of those. But they weren't like, you know, let's let's be rich. Like they just were doing what they thought was right mm. to give their, um, their, their family a better financial future. I think a lot of that generation just made their wealth from property, right? Nearly all of it, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you look at anyone who's retiring today and I would say 90% of their wealth is tied up in their owner-occupier property. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, where the, that's where it started. And then, you know, YouTube and social media and stuff was becoming a thing. Um, started YouTubing, like property investing and all this other investing stuff and found a guy by the name of Chris Gray. Yeah, we'll get into that. But let's, before we jump into that, just taking back to your, I believe, dropped out of school at 16, you left... Yeah, left school at sixteen. What was the reason behind that? Um, was for you? It was probably a similar thing to what got me started in like wanting to make money. It was yeah. like um, you know always not feeling equal. So like I was a class clown. I was always trying to make people laugh to be the cool kid. Mm. Um, and doing that consistently over time, like anything, you know, it doesn't work in your favor. It works to your to your negative. Yeah. So I um, I got bullied a little bit in school, and so what I did left. You get bullied for? I don't know. Just like sh- you know, shit that you get bullied for. Well, like. I actually don't know what it was about. It was just like you weren't. I wasn't a popular person, so it was yeah. just like an easy target to put shit on. And I was someone who always would fire back. So if someone had a crack at me, I'd always, you know, have a crack back at them. Mm. So it was probably, you know, as we know, like when people react target. to things, yeah. And, and my brother used to get bullied a lot too. So I think it was just like the Henderson kids were more easy to bully. Yeah. Um, so so I, I, sometimes I think those that put their neck out kind of get it cut off. For sure. And and even now, like I think I'm, I per- probably perceived the majority of people an easy person to hate. For, for some yeah. reason, yeah. 
we'll dig into that as well. Like. So it's like it probably started back then at somewhat my personality, my mannerisms, all that type of stuff. When it's probably not meaning to be like that. Mm. Um, so I, I got expelled and, and sort of voluntarily left my first school. What did you get expelled for? Just like getting in fights and, you know... It, was, it was just wasn't my it was like a, a mutual agreement between the school and my parents it's like, best for both of us yeah, if you probably, leave. Yeah. and then I went to another it's win, school it's a win-win literally I went to another school and it was I was super into motocross and and, and my mum and dad were like okay well if you don't get expelled and you finish year 12 we'll send you to this motocross school in the mm. US which is called MTF and I was like I'm committed. Like, I'm not mm. going to get in trouble. It was like four weeks into the new school. I was like, got, got suspended already. Yeah, and I was no, like, no. oh, fuck. There goes my, uh, there goes my motocross journey. Were you searching for friends or acceptance? I don't know. Uh, probably attention. acceptance. So I think it was acceptance and attention, right? Like, I wasn't the best looking kid. I had acne. Um, you know, I perceived this as not being like a wealthy family. So, like, you know, I did, mm. again, I didn't feel good enough, I don't think. Um, I don't know. And I don't know where that stemmed from because my parents were not like... You know, they're not like that. They were mm. always like, they're, you know, they're who they are and they don't really care what anyone thinks about them. They're not all trying to be something they're not. So I don't know where it stemmed from, but mm. stemmed from somewhere. Um, and that was it. It was just like a snowball. And then when I got to the new school, I just got back into old routines again. And then by the time I got to year 10, halfway through year 10, I wasn't allowed to go to any of my classes. I had to go <laughs> and sit at the, the deputy's office. Um, you know, naturally they were like, what are you doing here, man? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so you left school. And then yeah, got when- kicked out of school. I think it was like fifteen, and um, and then I couldn't couldn't get really an external job because I didn't have a license. Yeah, um, I had my L's, so I couldn't travel anywhere. I didn't have any qualifications. I didn't want to be a tradie. Mm. And my dad ran a, a large civil construction firm, so I was just like, I was working there on weekends and school holidays sometimes. So I was like, well, you're not just sitting at home doing nothing and being yeah. a bludger. You'll come and work for me. Yeah. Um. So I did that, and and yeah, I didn't really have any sort of drive to know what I wanted to be I just knew I wanted to be rich I was mm. like this is not for me you know I know I was always interested in people with money so like when I started working with dad I was always interested in the bosses of dad's company like when they come to the sites yeah. like the guys who own the company it's always just so fascinating like fuck I wonder what the life is that they live yeah. I wonder what it feels like to run a big company you know and how important do you think is that let's say obsession or interest on wealth and money to make money is it something you need to care about mm. for myself I think yeah you know I think Alex Hormozzi talk uh, has spoken about it a lot recently where it's like, you know, fear is a great driver. So you can either run towards something or run away from something. Mm. And they did this um, test recently where they put a, a rat in a cylinder and at one end they had a, a fan which blew cheese. Um, and, you know, they, they had a tension behind the uh, the rat's tail and they felt how fast the, the rat pulled towards the cheese and then they put the cat stench behind the rat and then they felt how fast, the, you know, the, the, uh, the rat run which is obviously, you know, portraying that mm. you, you run from fear more than you run towards pleasure. Mm. Um, and I heard the third part of that was when they did it at the same time, you actually got the best results. So almost when you have something to run towards and have something to run away from simultaneously, 100%. you're going to get your best results. And I think that was me, right? I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be poor. I didn't want to, you know, be a failure and I still have that fear right now. Um, so I think for myself, it's like super important because it's, if I was just like, you know, I think if I had a different mentality of just being like cruisy, happy fitting in, you know, you don't really have that drive to push yourself out of your comfort zone. Mm. Um, and I come from a family of just like normal people, you know, we're just normal Australians. So yeah. it would have been very easy just to go into the normal path and it wouldn't have been, you know, uncommon. Yeah. Um, and all my friends who I grew up with, like they're all just working, enjoying their life, but they haven't, you know. Yeah. What was the... The path you chose instead of that. What was the what was the path you took from that point? 
Well, it was probably, it was just like, I don't want to be normal, you know? Yeah. And it, again, that was driven by like probably your fear, probably an ego thing. Um, and that was then into mining, I believe, to start with. Yeah. So it was, I was just super obsessed with making money. Yeah. So like when I was in the construction industry, I was always like, how can I make more money? So I was working more hours, you know, you're obviously trading your time for money. Um, and then when I got to a point where I couldn't really earn any more money with construction, I'm working six days a week, you're working 12 hours a day, you know, eight hours and on Saturday. And are you investing this money? Are you saving it? Are you spending it like an idiot? Mainly saving because I was living at home, right? 15 to 18, you don't have anything to spend money on. I was probably earning, you know, when I started $1,200 a week. When I, you know, got to sort of 18, 19, I was, you know, probably clearing 1600 bucks a week. So it's good money. Mm. I wasn't paying rent at home. I didn't have a car. I didn't, you know, yeah, I didn't okay. spend money on clothes and Xbox games and shit. At the end of the day, you, you can't spend 1500 bucks a week. Because I think a lot of people get that question mark around, you know, you've, you're, you're, how old are you now? 27, 26? Yeah, 26, yeah. And you've got how much in property value, roughly? Uh, just under 30 mil, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, how, how the hell does that happen? He must have family money. He must have mm. inherited a bunch. He must have, you know, lied, cheated his deal to way to get there. You know, but what I'm hearing is it's just, you're grinding for four or five years there to get that initial nest egg to start the game. Yeah, and at, when I started the game... It wasn't like I thought, fuck, I'm going to have, you know, 30 odd million bucks of property at 25, right? You just start. You know, like my guy was like, I just want to buy one property. And then when I had one property, I just want to buy my second property. Mm. So like, it was just like, you know, going those incrementals. And it was probably better back then, to be honest, because right now I don't think, I should think more just in incremental steps. But Mm. now I'm like, I've got 30, how do I get to a billion? Yeah. You know, like. (laughs) That's a big jump. Yeah. Where like when I first started, it was like, I got one. Now, how do I get two? As opposed to like, how do I get 10? Um, which is what happens when you open your eyes up, you know, to the world. Because when I when I started investing in property, to have one property at 18 years old was like in the area that I grew up. I was like, fuck, these guys made it. Yeah, <laughs> it's the Australian dream. And that was just driven into my by my parents. So like, you've got this money sitting in the bank. There's first home buyer incentives. Um, if you buy a property, you've just bought the most expensive thing you'll ever buy in your life. You're set. Like, just do that. So I just did that. Um, and they say the the limits of your mind will be the limits of your life and it sounds like your mind just kept opening up more and more and your, your life followed yeah and that was just around you know as I bought one property that's when like I really started to get interesting and like well you know what is property investing how does it actually work mm. um, you, you know, bought you- that first one with the traditional mindset of paying down the, the, the home loan and then maybe trying to get a second or did you start having some concepts of, you know... I had like a basic understanding of like, you know, if I buy one, you can then, that grows in value. You use the equity out of that property to buy property number two. Not really knowing how to do it, but I just knew it was a concept to okay. do. Um, and I was naive as well. So I didn't know all the things that could hold you back from doing that. Yeah. So like, oh, fuck, I bought one, that was easy. How do I buy number two? What now? do you think the knowledge of that, you know, to the general population, I, I feel... Anytime I mention, you know, taking the equity out of property number one, buying up property number two with the deposit, it's mind blowing for a lot of people still. Yeah. You know, is it 50% of people know that? Is it, you know, like I don't know. 10%? Is it 1%? I think it's less. Yeah. yeah. Well, like if you look at the statistics in Australia, it's like, um, it's about 2 million property investors in Australia, which works out to be what, roughly 8%, yeah. like 10% of the population. And 71% of those people, 72% of those people only have one investment property. Yeah. Wow. And then 90% only have two. Um, so I would say it's the vast minority of the population understand mm. money and, and not even understand money, just understand what you can actually, you know, your options around mm. that. Um, and I was the same, like I didn't, I didn't know. I just, I just started. And then as you start, you get more interested, like in most things, right? If you enjoy fishing, you usually go buy a fishing rod and get started. And you're like, mm. oh, how do I get better at this? Where do I fish? You know, mm. I was talking um, that with someone this morning where 
often we try and follow our passion we try and follow our you know what we really are joyful about and you, mm. every day you want to be passionate about it but if you break down the ingredients of actually what passion is it's responsibility it's autonomy it's momentum it's skill acquisition so over time you feel like you're making progress towards a meaningful goal mm. and it's like put them in a blender and you get passion and then you ultimately one day you wake up and you love dentistry or you love carpentry but I don't think as a kid you probably loved it. It just I didn't even love property. Some... I love money. Yeah, like that was my driver. It was like, how do I how do I get rich? Yeah, so you're making progress towards that, getting more responsibility, autonomy, you know, skill acquisition. Now you suddenly you're passionate about property and money. That's exactly right. And then, you know, things things just snowball. So as as I started to get into property, I was still living at home with mum and dad, still living in the western suburbs of Sydney. Um, started seeing all these like big property investor personal mm. brands and then I was like oh I'll go to a seminar you know you go to one seminar you learn something you meet someone you're like mm. oh I'll go to another one and then you know that, that's and, literally and how so you bought your first one at 18 yeah which what property was that tell me about that uh, it was a two bedroom apartment in Coogee didn't even know where Coogee was when I bought <laughs> that property so like that was again from research I was like where yeah. do the rich people live yeah it's like the eastern suburbs I was like fuck yeah let's go to the eastern yeah, suburbs wow. I couldn't afford Bondi because I knew, I knew Bondi I was like, my budget, I had 750000 I think, as a pre-approval. And uh, I couldn't afford... an 18-year-old. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's, it doesn't seem like a lot of money now. Yeah. And I think even back then, it didn't, like, conceptualize to me. So, I was like, I had, you know, fifty grand or whatever I had saved. That was a 5% deposit on, mm. you know, $700,000 property I was earning, 80 to 100 grand for the year, which, you know, if you do the numbers, six to seven times your income is, you know, debt-to-income ratio, that's what they'll lend you. Mm. Um and then I remember I was like driving. I had no idea about any of these suburbs. I'd like, you know, set my plan for my open for inspections on a Saturday. I wouldn't work that Saturday. And then I'd go around to all of these different inspections. I had no idea what I was looking at. No idea about um, what to look for, the agents, what to ask. And I missed out on heaps of shit. Mm. Just I had no idea. And then, uh, yeah, ended up buying this two-bedroom apartment. Or oh, we wouldn't buy the same property now. It's ground floor, no parking, super dark. <laughs> um, but at the time, I felt like, you know. This. Yeah, it sounds like there's some learns from your initial win anyway, right? Yeah, exactly right. And and that, that initial purchase was the thing that then snowballed me into, you know, all the other stuff. And just what I'm hearing there is, even though it wasn't the best pristine standalone property, the market rate, the industry, the area, the blue chip kind of nature of Coogee, just playing the game and being in the game kind of ultimately was the win more than the exact property hundred percent, right? Like that was in 2015, I bought that property. Um you know, we can look back at what the property market's done now. You could have literally bought anything in Sydney and done okay out of it. Yeah. Um, but if I didn't do that, if I didn't take that step, if I decided to take that money and go on a holiday, like a lot of my friends were doing at mm. 18, you know, like they were doing the Europe trip and I never was, I wasn't interested in that. So it wasn't like yeah, I, same. I didn't do it. I just, what I was like, oh, fucking, I don't want to go overseas. I don't like holidays. Yeah. yeah so exactly. I just, property was my thing. Um, I, I don't know so why that come about. For, for those that are listening, kind of going, sometimes just being in the arena, being in the game is more important than actually how you play or what property you purchase or what stock you buy. 100%. You know, just being in the market on an ASX perspective, buying S&P 500 is way more important than just waiting for the perfect time to buy or the perfect stock to buy. 100%. And naivety as well is like somewhat bliss, right? I mean, naivety sometimes can get you in trouble. But for me, I was like, I didn't really know what I was doing. I pretended like I knew what I was doing. <laughs> And, um, you know, now looking back on that, it was like one of the most pivotal decisions I've made in my life to date, for yeah. sure. And tell me from property number one, you know, when did that turn into a business, turn into a lifestyle, turn into the agency? Um, well, like property number one turned into property number two. And, um, you know, that was like 12 or 14 months later. I think I bought my second one in the October of the following year. Um, 
and again, it wasn't about property. It was like, I was just obsessed with becoming rich. And I like, I saw 2015, 2016 property market was quite good. So the, the, the property that I purchased grew in value quite rapidly. I refinanced, I had some cash, I bought number two. Um, and I, I then, when I bought property number two, I was like, okay, I need to go see where the rich people live and what they do. So I, I, I um, booked a, a trip to Dubai. Knew nothing about Dubai, <laughs> but I just remember seeing on Facebook and Instagram oh, all yeah. of these like videos and photos of like, you know, D- D- Dubai used to be a really big thing on social media, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Um, and I was like, fuck, I need to go here. So I like, <laughs> oh, I worked with this guy in construction who uh, like saved all of his money, didn't, didn't do anything with his cash and I knew he would have money to go on holidays. I was like, hey, do you want to go to Dubai with me? He's like, yeah, I'll go to Dubai with you. Wow. So, and then this is like another one of those things where I researched heaps. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to Dubai. I'm not flying economy. So, how do I fly business class? And like, you go on, um, if you go on like, uh, what are the websites? Um, like what's a what's sky called? Yeah, like you look at business class flights and it was like, you know, 15 grand. I was like, oh, fuck, I'm not paying 15 grand. That's yeah. like half my net worth. Yeah. So, then I worked out how I could go and buy points and then with those points, then use it to, to book a flight. So, you know, I did that, booked a business class flight, stayed in all the best hotels in, in Dubai. And um, that, again, was probably like a light switch moment where I was like, fuck, there was so much money over here. Mm. Like I hired a Lamborghini for a day. I hired mm-hmm. a, an Audi R8 for a day. Um, and it was just like another, I guess. And why um, do you think you were doing that? Was that just to touch the dream? Yeah, that was what well? it was. I was like, I want to I know what this feels like. So I went and spent two, two weeks like eating at the best restaurants, staying in the best hotels, you know, going in the cars, which I'd never done before because none of my friends or family mm. or community that I grew up around had any of that stuff. And for whatever that cost you, 10, 15, 20 grand compared to that putting in property number three, like how do you justify those type of experiences versus just a purely investment mindset i didn't even look at it at the time right it was like it just felt like the right thing to do i was mm. like okay i'll go i'll go on an overseas trip i didn't really put a an roi and, on and it do you think that's because you really wanted to feel what it was like to be that wealthy or touch the manifestation of your dream or was it you know where you wanted to go meet someone or learn something or, or it was, was that it was like i wanted to go and f- i wanted to live that sort of life for a few weeks to see what it felt like and that was that get photos and put it on Instagram and feel... Yeah, someone. I remember putting up a photo driving a green hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to know what it was like to live that, you know, kind of life. Yeah, because I'm trying to understand, is it coming from a place of I want other people to be seeing me successful mm-hmm. and seeing me with lots of money or do I want to have lots of money for my It was both of those joys? things. It was both of those things. So, like, it was an ego thing for sure. I was like, bought myself a property, you know, I'm on this journey. <laughs> And then it was also like, you know, I want to know what it's like to, to, to be around money and, and wealth. And like, I'd never seen a Rolls Royce before, for example. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen, um, you know, $1,000 dinner bills before and all that type of stuff. And you go over there and it's just like, it's normal. Yeah, it's everywhere. And I think we talk about the power of the environment and how much our subconscious will start adapting to what we see and what we feel and what we touch. And, you know, we're such social beings that as soon as we start reading a room and going, everyone's thinking about money and thinking about not millions, but billions, or they're thinking about what deals they can do. And, mm. you know, you start leveling up without even thinking about For it. For sure. For sure. And and that, I think that's what happened when I went over there. So I come back and I was like obsessed then, even mm-hmm. more so. I was like, fuck, how do I get there? How do I how do I build my life so I can live like that on a daily basis? Which again, was all super materialistic at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I was about at that point in my life. You know, I was like 21, 20 or something. Um, and I do think that's important for those ambitious, you know, kids and people on the come up. The actually feeling that it's possible to feel Mm. what it's like to inject all that enthusiasm and and 
inspiration for that dream and passion, you then work so much harder because you know what it's feeling like. You know how cool it is to sit in that car. You know what it feels like to eat at that restaurant or whatever it may be. It You want it so much more. It's not a pipe dream that's so far in the distance. It's something that you physically experience and then you have that drive to go and actually And you know it's it. real. Like, you know, like the reality is, I think that to build... There's two parts to this. To build a successful life and earn money is actually not that hard. Mm. Like, it's quite easy. You know, like, we know what we have to do to be able to do it, but it just seems, because of our environment, that it's, you know, it's out of my league or I'm never destined to do that. And I think what that trip taught me is, like, well, you look around, you're like, fuck, that dude looks like he's overweight, doesn't really do too much. That dude, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you look yeah. at these people and there's, like, that self... Um, I can't remember where I, help, uh, I, I heard it, but it was, like, the top three characteristics of... Of, of wealthy people. I can't remember how much wealth they had. And, and one of them was they always felt a, a, a feeling of superiority. Yeah, I think know. Alex or Mersey talked about I it. I think so, yeah. And I was like, that's how I always felt. I was like, how the fuck has this dude done that? Like, I'm way better than him. Yeah. And that was like an internal feeling that I had. Yeah, and um, Steve Jobs talks about that the moment you realize that the world and things in it around you were built by people no smarter than you, mm. then you can go and build your own world. And if it's compelling enough, people will live within it. 100%. And that was what I realized. I was like, I'm fucking better than these guys. I can I can do it. That's literally what I thought. And then when I come back from that trip, I was like, you know, onto my onto my third property. Um, that's when I moved from Sydney up to Newcastle. Um, you know, met a girl who I fell in love with. And I was like, sweet, I'm going to move up there. Didn't even know Newcastle existed at that point in time. <laughs> um, got into the mines. And that was when I really started uh, setting goals. Prior to that, I didn't really have goals. I was like, just I was working, I was saving money. I knew when I saved money, I could buy a property. Mm. Um, but that was when I was like, okay, I've got two years in the mines up here. I'm going to earn as much money as I possibly can. I want to buy another property. And then when I buy that property, I then want to get into real estate mm. in a full capacity. Mm. Um, and literally two years to the day, I started on the October long weekend of 2018. And I finished on the October long weekend of 2020. Wow. Yeah, which wasn't... It was planned mentally, but it just happened that way. Um, and yeah, from, from that point, that's when property then turned into a, uh, you know, more than just a hobby, but it was a, a business. And Yeah, wow. It was a... Yeah, yeah. Um, reading The Alchemist again recently by Bella Coelho, and it's like, as soon as you realize that personal legend or that personal vision you have for yourself, mm. you know, the universe conspires to help you get there and you know, the luck and the coincidence of it was two years to the date that you actually end up achieving that dream is, I don't think any, any accident. It was so random as well. I didn't even realize when I finished at the time and then I looked, I was like, fuck, that's literally been two years to like the week that I started with this company. Yeah. Wow. Um, 25 minutes in we're 57 degrees. How's the body? How's the head? It's it's feeling good. Yeah. Sweating a lot. Oh mate, you're dripping, but it's looking good. How's the rig look? It looks, it's it's a bit sloppy, isn't it? (laughs) Mate, it's good, mate. You've been working out. You've been running a bit. I've been running. Mate, one of my favorite stories when I first met you on your podcast, it's like, let's, you always had that goal of running a marathon. I was like, man, let's just go lace up. Let's go, <laughs> let's go lace I, up I next week. I was weekend. a coward. I didn't do it. It was raining. Remember that? It was raining. You texted me the day before and you're like, hey man, it's a bit rainy. Like, can we do it the following week? Like, like don't negotiate on your goals. Like, fuck you. And you did one. Yeah. I ran out by, by myself and ran one. And I was just, I was a coward. That's <laughs> literally what I was. I think but I, then you got into it, mate. Then you yeah. run, you run a few marathons and quick. I ran, yeah, I ran, what I ran, like four or five marathons, an ultra. Yeah. I meant to be running 100Ks next week with uh, with a good friend of mine who... The UTA? Yeah. He, I, I've cowled it out and he's... he's oh my God. <laughs> well, I'm going over to Richard You've Branson's done it again. Island. Are you doing NECA? Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Who are you doing that with? Uh, with Frank Grief. 
remember the guy I was going to introduce you to yeah. at the time and yeah, I yeah. it when out. <laughs> show up again. <laughs> yeah, so see, folks. Wait, what, how's consistency? Oh, uh, no, I'm, I'm consistent with being inconsistent. Mate, I just slept in that morning. That was not like me. Yeah, I think well, it was because I was thinking about it so much. I'm like, I need to get up. I need yeah, to get up. And the then I slept through my alarm. Jack's invited me to a workout at 5 a.m. at a place around the corner in Queenscliff for me and another mate, Drew. And <laughs> I get up 4.30, ready to go. Had my shine. Like, I'm, I'm caffeinated and ready, <laughs> ready to work out. Walk, because now it's like maybe a couple K. So I'm actually jogging to warm up for the workout. So I jogged to this guy's house, sitting outside this house at 4.45. A guy that you had no idea who No, 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 Texting you, go, mate, where are you? And there's no response, dot, dot, dot. And then I try and call you and there's like, just go straight to voicemail. Phone like, was on do not disturb. Yeah. I text Drew, I'm like, have you heard from Jack? He's like, no, he was supposed to pick me up 20 minutes ago. I go, fuck it. <laughs> this guy's done it again. Mate, I was, I was asleep. I woke up and I felt like a proper bitch at that point in time. Yeah. So, mate, not a, not a proud moment of my yeah, life. Yeah, Well, hopefully you learn from I that. felt the tension too through the phone when yeah. I tried to call you and you just didn't answer. And I was like, <laughs> Steve, <laughs> Steve's pissed. <laughs> I was caffeinated. I couldn't go back to sleep. I went for a run and a workout anyway. Uh, Mate, there you go. So even even people who are uh, perceived to be doing well still fuck up all the time yeah. like I do. Well, I do think it's you get the big things right. And I, I think a lot of people try and go, I need a perfect life, perfect discipline, perfect mm. routine, never any mistake. It's like, no, no, no. Like if you get the really big, important things in life correct, mm. who you partner with, you know, long-term investment strategy and, and, and maximizing compound interest and compound returns, the type of work that makes you fulfilling and opportunities to grow and the type of friends you have around you, like life is 99% amazing at that point. It's and true. then all the rest is this 1% if you have a six pack or if you have money in the bank or if you have, you know, the type of macros you have in your diet every day. It's the, that's the 1% stuff that makes life, you know, 1% better, but mm. 99% is those big falls. It's true. It's true. And now I'm like, I think I've got the big rocks sorted mm. somewhat. But now it's like the most frustrating thing is trying to get all the little stuff you mm. know, dialed in. So like getting up at a consistent 4.30 every single morning and not hitting snooze on the alarm. That's fucking hard to do, man. Especially as you get towards the end of the week. Yeah. And like this morning, I didn't get up until 6.30. I didn't train. So I was like super pissed yeah. off at myself. But I definitely trapped myself in that prison for maybe four or five years where mm. I couldn't miss one day at 4.24 a.m. Weekends included. And... You know, I probably burnt myself out doing that and it was not coming from a place of love. It was coming from a place of torture. Almost like the warden would wake me up and kind of go, mate, get to duty. Like you put yourself in this prison, which I don't know, in your 20s, like working that hard for that amount of time will deliver results. Like mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it. I think I'm trying to build this con- this equation of value of like how to actually get something that you really, really, really want. And it's like, well, it's hard or else it'd be available immediately. And it's like, okay, what makes it hard? And I think it's the... The, the three factors of time, how, how long you put into it, effort, so the intensity of that time, and then thirdly, skill mm. or talent. And you got those factors to work with. You go, hey, I'm happy to achieve this goal that I really, really want in 50 years. Cool. Low effort, low skill required. If you're like, how do I get to this amount of success in five years? Cool. A bunch of effort and a bunch of skill to be able to make that amount of time work. And I think that's just the trade-off people need to understand. It's like, cool, how long do you want to spend on it? How much willing and effort are you willing to give to it? And then how much skill are you going to try and acquire or naturally have for it? And then you go, shit, it's really, really hard to replicate that, which is why I value it because you know how much time, effort and skill that went into it. And hence why the Mona Lisa is worth half a billion dollars. And if you and I got a canvas and scribbled 
some drawings on it. Just, just squiggle this out there, just to yeah, shine. Yeah, you know, you'd go, I'm not paying you. <laughs> I'm not paying you a dollar for that because there's no perceived um, perception of time and effort. I think the hardest thing now was like when you've broken through that, you know. Uh, I guess perception of success so when like the majority of the population or the people that you're around would see you as successful I think that's the easiest part of the journey and the hardest part of the journey now is going to you know as you get to a level then you start looking up at the people above you and to get from you know where I am right now to where I want to be that's you know significantly harder I feel than getting from where I was to where I am right now yeah and it probably feels the same as when you were starting the journey looking up the mountain and going 100%. how do I even get my first level of success I think it's always an uphill battle you're always climbing a mountain you know pick the mountain you want to climb pick how you want to climb it who you want to climb with mm. and then once you reach the top people like you and I and people who are ambitious who like climbing mountains in the first place yeah. are going to get to the top see a bigger one in the, in, the, in the distance have to go down in the valley which is going to just be shit and mm. rough and painful because there's negative momentum negative altitude and then you start climbing again on something that you believe is more meaningful. That's and I think that's like the the uh, part that I'm in right now. Like we've had you know mega success in the business in a few short years. The portfolio is obviously at a, at a level which is you know pretty extraordinary for my age. But then you look up, you know, like Alex Ormosi, We've been talking mm. about him. I I look at him now, and I'm like, how the fuck do I get to 100 mil net worth by 32? You know, that just seems so close. It's like what five six years away. Mm. And that mountain, even though it's a materialistic mountain, again, seems so much more difficult mm. to do than the mountain that I've climbed to get to where I am right now. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a perception thing or I'm looking too far into the future, but like that seems way more daunting. Because now like with business, you know, you get to a point and then you, you your business will not grow past that point until yeah. you become a better leader, a better yeah. business operator. You know, you get better at everything. Yeah. You, you grow and your business follows. Mm. So and I think that's the challenging part. You receive what you're due. And I think the more that you upskill your talent, your time, effort, and, 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 and skill set, you'll then get the rewards back. And um, that old, the more you give is the more you'll get. That, makes, that did not make sense to me logically when I first heard it. Mm. I go, but if I give it away, I don't have it. <laughs> How do I get it back? If I've given it away, I'm not going to end up with nothing. And then I don't know when it just clicked. It's like, no, 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 I'm creating value. I'm putting good and valuable things into the world which is then this kind of bank balance of moral licensing and this kind of m- m- virtual good that's now owed to me because of a karma effect, if we talk about, you know, from a Buddhist perspective. The universe is now going, hey, Stephen, you've, you've chucked in $100 of good. Here's $100 back and maybe 105 because there is this compound interest on well, it. Well, another Hormozy thing is like goodwill compounds much faster than, uh, than, what is it, work, I think he says. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same thing, right? It's like giving value to the world before you get it in return, which is hard to do because we're trained to be able to give and receive something as opposed yeah. to just continuing to give and, yeah. and like, not receive. Like don't take it out of the bank. Like almost if you talk, maybe the example is with property, like don't sell. That's just right. Just keep stacking, keep stacking equity. Even when you get 11 rate rises, just <laughs> just hold on. <laughs> How are you finding the current property market? Um, mate, like I think, again, it's like the mental thing is way bigger than the actual reality of, you know, the severity of the market. Yeah. Right? Like... You look back to our most recent economic uh, downturn in most people's memories would be the GFC outside mm-hmm. of COVID, obviously, but that was probably not an economic downturn. That was an ep- economic, you know, upturn. Surplus for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So you look at like the GFC and you're like, well, that was like, you know, the, the worst economic climate in recent history. And it took two years to go from the peak to the trough back to where it was pre-GFC. 
um, you know, and I, I just look at that right now. It's like, well, if it's going to be shit for a couple of years, we know after uh, after bad times come really good times. Yeah. And the most the people who made the most amount of money and the most amount of progress were the people who just continued continue to not only invest but try and grow their businesses and take market share. And yeah, when they come out the other end, um, you know, they. I think Warren Buffett talks about when like everything that you love is on sale, you buy more of it. You know, mm. you don't buy less of it. And if you go to the mall and everything's fifty percent off. But you know, underlying that the value of the the brand or the clothing or the assets are, are good, then it's usually not to just buy as much as you can at that moment in time. If you can withstand the cash mm. uh, and hold that for the the time until it's back on full price, and if you want to sell it, for example. How often you drank a drink since we've been in here? <laughs> Mate, thirty-five you minutes. Haven't, you haven't had a sip of water, and I'm just here. I'm I'm fifty percent through a one point two five liter. <laughs> Mate, I practice. I practice. What are we in? We're thirty-five minutes at fifty-eight degrees. That's not bad. The um, the the role of mentors. Talk to me about that, and, <coughs> and we've got a mutual friend in Chris Gray, and yeah, tell me about how he, he hates can. me telling people that he was my mentor. Sorry, Chris, <laughs> you've just been brought into the conversation, especially after my recent uh, my recent media <laughs> stint. <laughs> Like, yeah, you got to stop telling people as you mentor. But I'm like, mate, you taught me everything I know, including the negative media. Oh shit. Um, so I think you know the way I look at m- mentors, um, I think is really just opening you up to a new network of people that you didn't you know have access to before so chris was an incredible mentor in the fact that he taught me a lot of stuff you know like master teaching their uh mm-hmm. their student but then i think the the other thing that he did which i probably wasn't conscious to at the time which is open open me up to another network of people who mm. again that was now my reality it's like all these people have got businesses that driving cool cars that live in cool properties and that's normal to them mm. so, so i'm hearing that- it's two parts it's the skill and the experience they can share with you. And then secondary is the network and the people that then they introduce you to and you surround yourself with. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and that's the same now, right? Like Chris was my, and he still is a very good friend and, and I would classify him still as a mentor. Um, but now it's like, okay, well I'm at this level and I've got friends around me that are all very similar that I would have only dreamed of, you know, five or six years ago. Um, now what's that next level? How do I surround myself with that next, you know, echelon of, of, of people, not necessarily in, personal their personal lives but their business lives right mm. to, to, to give you that lift because i think the most successful business people aren't necessarily the best people mm. you know in, in general and i don't think that's the money that does that it just is yeah the reality of life right just I like think- saying some of the poorest people are probably not some of the best people i think you know there's, there's truth to both of that yeah um there's just less wealthy people in the world than there is you know poor people so they stand out more yeah um, they say money, you know, turns up the volume on whoever you are naturally. Exacerbates kind of the type you, of person you are. Yeah. yeah and, and also, at least what I found was a single-minded pursuit of one and outcome would then, by definition, sacrifice and trade off other outcomes. So, for example, True. you know, for, for many, many years, my one focus was entrepreneurship and business. So I went all in on that. I stopped drinking. I didn't socialize. I lost, you know, all my friendships circles from school. You know, I, I didn't take holiday. I didn't have weekends. I didn't, mm. I didn't do anything but business and business-related growth with my mentor, um, Sam. That definitely sacrificed my friendships. Mm. That definitely sacrificed my leisure. That definitely sacrificed my wholeness as a person in relationships. You know, I got some good business results because that was what I was optimizing for. But I think it's back to kind of what goal are you aiming for in your life? And then how do you want to spread up your energy, t- talent, and time to make you... I know, a single-minded person or a more balanced, integrated person. Yeah, I agree. And I'm probably in that other, you know, you, you've gone through that stage. I'm probably in that stage now where it's like my core focus is just being like the best business person yeah. I can possibly be, which yeah. is driven by a few different things. 
Um, but then you hear stories like that where it's like, oh, don't sacrifice that because it all could be gone tomorrow. And, you know, you get a health scare or a health scare in the family and sort of mm. puts things into, into perspective. Um, but I, I think going back to what we spoke about before, going from, you know, not having anything or not having the life that you wanted to then pursuing it and seeing you making yeah. progress toward it, it's very hard to be like content. Or you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm happy with this now. And, and publicly, you know, <coughs> you've talked about your relationship with alcohol and that mm. role in your journey of success or not. You know, talk to me about alcohol for you. Um, it just brings out the worst in you. Like for myself, it brings out the worst, uh, the worst version of myself. And especially when you have the capacity not to necessarily think about what you're spending your money on at the point of intoxication, which is usually when you have the, the least amount of willpower. Um, you know, it's, it's a bad thing. You know, like money opens up the doors to literally anything that you want. If you've got enough money, you can buy whatever you want. And that's what I found with drinking. When I was younger, drinking wasn't that much of a thing, right? Because you go out, you know, I didn't have an unlimited amount of cash. You wouldn't like drink until oblivion because you were worried about how much money you were spending. Mm. You know, the drugs wouldn't be as intense. Um, yeah, well, everything just wasn't, you know, a- as abundant mm. because you didn't have the financial means. But as you start to get financial means, nothing is out of out of context right mm. you can you can have anything and do anything you want and as i started to you know make more money from an income perspective then i found you know, alcohol to be a, a bad thing because you know did some stuff that i'm not proud of and, it, and and um yeah it's just it just brings out the, the worst in mm. me and i can like you can see like you see all the people at their their height of their careers whether they're like celebrities or sports people or business people like usually what they're lacking in their young years of life is what they want when they're, mm. they've got the level of success and that's when it usually brings them undone so that was really the driver it's like fuck i want to be better in business i want to be a better person and i don't want to keep making stupid mistakes yeah. so that was that was the driver and then i went i got back on the piss last year not as intense but I started drinking more and again, like bad things kept happening to me. I was like, mm. fuck, every time I do this, I just keep reminding myself as to why I don't drink. But then like, you know, your serotonin levels return and you go back to normal and you're like, fuck yeah, let's get back on it. And then all of a sudden it's like that vicious cycle. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, I think it takes a long time for most people to learn that. And I'm still learning it, right? There's, there's probably going to be a guarantee that there's going to be another point in time in the near future where I do something. I'm like, why the fuck did I do that? Yeah. And it will come when I'm drinking. Yeah. And what do you say to the people who say alcohol is needed for business deals or networking or relationship building you know how do you um, get I think into it helps. business i think it helps Fuck. 41 41 59 59 like degrees a, feeling like a coward right you're looking good you um, this. yeah i think look it helps without a doubt like you get closer to people when you drink i feel um you're more vulnerable with people and you can socialize more when you're drinking because the majority of the population, especially in the business world, that's how they socialize. Mm. Um, so when you stop drinking, you just have to find other ways to do that, right? So it's like, well, instead of going out for dinner and getting on the piss, it's like, well, let's go for a run in the morning mm. or let's catch up for breakfast, for example, as opposed to let's have dinner and, you know, catch the 2 a.m. fucking taxi home. <laughs> yeah, and I found, you know, some of my best relationships <coughs> in business have been built over long distance running, Ironman triathlons. Mm you know, some of our best retailer relationships were built because at the time I wasn't drinking for many years. And to your point, I was like, how do I engineer the, the level of experience, the depth, the connection, the rapport build, you know, over the memories and the, the ups and downs of a night out, for example. Mm. You know, I found that was in sports was the best way forward. For or sure. saunas. So, mm. Saunas bring the best out in people. Fuck yeah, and the sweat. Exactly. Um, mate, let's talk to, you know, you've got five, six properties. You've started your, you know, full-time business you know mm. t- tell people about exactly what that does what it is 
and uh, we'll go um, from there. Yeah, so essentially, you know, what we do now is, like I said, we help people build wealth through property and, and we want to help them become a part of the wealthiest 1%. And that's through investing, but then also, you know, the right owner-occupier selection as well. And that's known as being a buyer's agent. Yeah, we call, us, we, we call it ourselves buyer's advocates as opposed to agents. It sounds a little bit more sexy. Um, <laughs> but that's essentially that's what the marketing. business... That's, that's literally is marketing. Um, but that's essentially what the business does now is, is we help people grow portfolios. We help people make the right decisions when they're, they're purchasing their owner-occupier property. Um, and, you know, we've also got the development business as well where we're, we're building luxury developments. And the whole idea of that business is to change the face of how, you know, people live, which again is targeted as uh, at the 1%. So mm. you look at buildings like the Crown, for example, in Sydney or some of the you know, most exclusive buildings in, um, in Park Ave in New York. And, and, you know, that's the level we want to get to is like, that the the building has a as an affluence to it. Everything's at your fingertips because you live in that building. Yeah. Um. And you know, once we we help out the the one percent, it's about giving it back to the ninety nine percent. And that's ambitious as hell, man. That's the goal. Yeah. Why do you think you're the man to do it? Mate, look at me. I'm forty five minutes into us. <laughs> <laughs> um. Mate, I I don't think there's a, not anyone else that can do it. There probably is, right? And there's people who are already doing it. You look at people like Tim Gurner in Australia, for mm, example, and mm. Triggerboff, and they already, you know, they've got their missions and, and goals that they want to hit. Um, but I think you know you need a you need a driver in life, and mm. and that's mine. And who knows if that changes, right? Yeah. Um, one thing I've thought about, I had um, David Shane on my podcast last week or the uh, week before. OG legend. You know, sold his business for a billion dollars, and it's like the first guy in tech to do it in Australia. Yeah. Um, and you know, I would call him the nicest guy in the room. <laughs> Literally, the nicest guy in the room. <laughs> but you know, it's like, well, if you want to hit twenty billion, for example, if he sold for a bill, he would have then had to risk nearly a hundred percent of that bill to hit the twenty, right? Mm. And you look at people like Elon Musk, and it's like he sold out of PayPal for you know, net two hundred or thereabouts. And then instead of taking that off the table and enjoying life, he then you know bet that against himself. So you know, I think that a couple can, times. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. So you get to that point, um, and you know, if, if I ever get to that point like that gamble is a big thing right there's a lot of money on the table and to put it all back in for a, a dream and an ambition that may or may not come to fruition you yeah. lo- lose everything you work for i think that's a big decision 100 percent. and a lot of people you know when they go to the casino for the first time they win a few rounds and then they go oh, i've made 20 into 80 mm. or they've turned 80 to 120 and they go perfect that's my night out paid for take your <sighs> chips and um you know walk away other people will go made 120 cool put that straight on black in roulette and keep going until they made a thousand you know, that's for me feels like <coughs> supreme confidence or optimistic thinking. Mm. It feels maybe egotistical because we you think you can do it and then like you can beat the odds on repeat. Agreed. And then thirdly, maybe this fear of missing out if you didn't do it, what would that feel like if you walked away going, what if? Exactly. And you don't know, right? You don't know what the what if. You, you look at, um, what's the guy's name who started the Wynn Casino? Uh, Steve Wynn. Steve Wynn, yeah, yeah. Like he did the same thing. You know, he had... I can't remember how much it was four or five hundred million dollars cash in the bank and then bet it all building the new wind casino which is three billion and he got to the end of that in the gfc and he was 600 million short you know yeah that's ballsy yeah like, can we have a break uh we can't have a break we're gonna have a stop <laughs> but let's talk about the ego though for a second there because you're being in... <laughs> we can't have a break <laughs> we can't have a break we're gonna until you you till you stop then we'll keep going we're 45 46 minutes 59 degrees let's make this the last topic because i feel like we're about to die all right props to ethan Donati for doing 62 <laughs> <laughs> well done ethan shout out mate 62 um mate you're on four corners recently yeah you were accused of some controversial business tactics you know questionable buying practices around you and your business partner you know what was the learn there? What was what was the win there? What's the the true story? 
um, look, I think the learn there was even if you don't need to disclose it, you know, I think you still disclose it, right? Like, you know, we've we've had the discussion prior to all of that happening with uh, with fair trading and everything that we do is above board. It's, we're not in any breach. I had another meeting with them last week, but still not in breach. They know everything. But I guess the 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 story that the media can portray is different to that of reality, right? And perception is everything. Yeah. Um, so I think the learning was, you know, it's very evident as to how quick what you built can mm. come crushing down. Not even could you doing anything wrong. What was the cost of that learn? Oh, mate, it's been hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? And plus all the stuff that you don't know about. So that's hundreds of thousands of business that I know about that should be our business. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it was a learning and, you know, if, if it is what it is. It yeah. Was, and you, you do put yourself out there, you take risk. What is, <laughs> you know, your prolific social media creator, TikTok, Instagram, mm. how has that played a part in your business? How does that it's help? It's helped, right? Personal brand is, is is very important because people buy into you, not your business. Mm. Um, but there's a downside to that, which is you put yourself out there, you're controversial in nature. You know, people are not going to like that. And, and if they don't like it, they're going to come after you. And the, the sad thing about the Four Corners thing was it was all driven by our competitors, not by mm. consumers. So, um, you know, I just like to look at it as we were so far ahead and we have to let them catch up a little bit and now yeah. they're catching up and you know and you said it's at school you put yourself out there you got bullied you yeah. put yourself out there to get attacked you know you do that on social media on a daily basis controversial you know provocative statements i think you've got an amazing loud personality mm. is that worth it how's that been dealing with the hate and the pushback and the social well, i think media? it's worth it if everything you're doing is above board and right because there's going to be a lot more good that happens like i get hundred good messages a week. Like, dude, you help me invest. You maybe, you know, you, you help me get over the, the fear of, of not doing X or Y and, you know, that's powerful. So you just got to block out all of the negative that comes with it and just focus on the, on the positive. Yeah. And you'd um, recommend, you know, best advice for someone young age, you know, 20-year-old Jack Henderson or want to be Jack Henderson. How do you get started, in, you know, property specifically? In- Mate, the, the, the hardest part is the deposit, right? So buckle in, save the deposit. And once you've saved one deposit, the reality is the properties will do the hard work for you. As they grow in value, there's your next deposit and you can essentially use your, your disposable income for whatever else you want to do. And, and tips to get that first deposit? Fuck, live humbly, live at home, minimize your costs. It's literally 12 months. You know, if you spend 750 grand, you need to save 35 grand. You know, that's 700 bucks a week. Most people would earn $1,000 a week, I would say, thereabouts. If you, I mean, if you're an apprentice, something slightly different, but um, yeah, it's not that hard. Yeah, and then what's been your biggest win in your life to date? What do you point to as your proudest achievement? Um, probably the person I am, I think. Like, still a long way to go for, for, for who I want to be, and that's a, that's a good journey you're never meant to, to hit, right? But who I am right now to who I was six, seven years ago is completely different. The way I think, the way I act. Um, Congratulations. So. And what's the cost of that win? Sitting in this fucking sauna at <laughs> 49 minutes. Mate, we'll call it there. It's 49 minutes. 30 seconds, 59 degrees. Jack Henderson, mate, you're a legend. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, bro. And sharing your wins and learns from your epic journey. Mate, this is intense. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks.